Hi. Uh, I, I'm Broke Ass Stewart. I'm Stuart Shuffman, a.k.a. Broke Ass Stewart. I'm a travel writer, a poet, a TV host, a mayoral candidate, and a motherfucking hustler. And today, you'll hear me and my story on San Francisco People. Welcome to San Francisco People. This is Frank Garza, and today's guest is Stuart Shuffman, better known to many of you out there as Broke-Ass Stuart. So as you heard Stuart talk about in his intro, he works on a lot of different projects, but he got his start writing about how to live cheaply in San Francisco and then later applied that to New York. And he's done a lot of freelance writing for publications such as Lonely Planet, Condé Nast Traveler, 7x7, and The Bold Italic. He created and hosted a travel show on IFC called Young, Broke, and Beautiful, where he traveled all over the country visiting new cities and telling people all the great things about them. And he's since turned his own website, BrokeAssStewart.com, into one of the premier arts and culture destinations for San Francisco and New York. So we talk about how Stewart got his start as a travel writer, how he transitioned from Stuart Shuffman to Brokeass Stewart, and some of his most popular pieces that he's written uh, as a writer. We also talk about his latest project, and it's a big one. He's running for mayor in San Francisco, and he's on the ballot in the upcoming November election. Stewart tells me why he's running, what he would do in his first 30 days in the office, and which neighborhood he's most confident that he'll carry on election day. Stewart lives in what he calls the Smission. He shares his favorite spots in the neighborhood and throughout San Francisco. Now, before we go talk to Stewart, he likes to say that uh, his material really isn't for kids. So I don't know if there's any kids that listen to this show. Probably not, other than my soon-to-be 11-year-old niece. But uh, if there are, you've been warned. This shit ain't for kids. Let's go talk to Stuart. I was born in Los Angeles, but I... I, uh when I was two, I moved to El Paso, and I lived there for seven years, no, five years, and then I moved to San Diego when I was seven. Okay. Do you, are you in touch with anybody from El Paso? Sure. My life? grandmother still lives there. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, we are Jews from El Paso, so uh, my grandmother was born there, my mom was born there, my brother was born there. Um, I, I jokingly call it my ancestral homeland. Right. And we do, we actually do El Paso over there every year in El Paso. I like, okay. I like wordplay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I had a, I still have a few friends who I knew when I was a kid there and that I'm in touch with who as here's as adults now. So that's pretty cool. I've got a buddy in New York who I knew when I was in kindergarten there and we're still friends and I crash with him often when I'm there. Yeah. So you're doing all of this like, cool eccentric stuff out in San Francisco mm-hmm. that San Franciscans love. Mm-hmm. Do these Texas people think you're nuts? Uh, most people think I'm nuts. I think, <laughs> I think I'm nuts. Uh, yeah, you know. All the people, all the people I know in El Paso, pretty much are old people, like my grandmother and some cousins and shit. But they're pretty stoked on what I'm doing. My grandmother thinks it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I come from a super, super open-minded liberal family, so it's like, oh, we've seen it all, you know. Right. They're stoked on what I'm doing. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, so you grew up. You said so from seven on all the way through high school. You grew mm-hmm. up in San Diego. Yeah. Went to school at Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's correct. So when did you? You know, you've kind of taken down, you've kind of gone, gone off the beaten path, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Right? Versus like, you know, a typical 
get a job, graduate college, get a job, raise a family, blah, blah, blah. Did you, uh, did you already always know that was the path you wanted to take? Yeah. I knew that I didn't want a real job, like a regular job ever. It just seemed oppressive, you know? And so I was like, well, I always, and I've always worked with what I call pirate jobs, which is like service industry jobs where you can quit whenever you want, you know, mm-hmm. and I can get, get new one the next ne- next day because I've always been able to like, for me doing, um, like, you know, those kind of at will hire jobs allows me to make the most amount of money in the least amount of time so I can spend the rest of the time doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I've never wanted to work in an office. <laughs> yeah. And so how did you, when you graduated, mm-hmm. how did you get started doing those types of jobs and then what ultimately led you to San Francisco? Uh, well, my senior year, wait, no, somewhere between my junior and senior year of college, I had an internship up here at Bill Graham Presents, which was at the time, um, you know, the biggest, you know, rock promotion company. They put on concerts, the Fillmore, the Warfield, all that stuff. They've been bought and sold a few times over and they don't exist anymore. But, um, so with that, I, so I came up here for that internship when I was 21 and I, I met a girl and so, um, so my whole senior year of college, I spent every other weekend here in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So um, I was here, you know, starting in 2002. And so and so one weekend I'd come up here, and the next weekend uh, she'd go down to Santa Cruz. Um, so as soon as I graduated college, I immediately, the, the next day, moved to San Francisco because my girlfriend was here. And um, and then, yeah, I've been here more or less. I mean, it's been home ever since. In that time, I've lived in New York for a year. But it's, even when I lived in New York, this was home. I still plan on coming back here after doing what I do, researching the book I was doing in New York. Right. So you, you're Stuart Sheffman. That is true. Um, but one day you became broke ass. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if it was one day, but uh, I want to hear the story mm-hmm. um, or the kind of that evolution. You know, how did you first coin that name for yourself? Um, and what got you going in that direction? Um. Well, I was working in the candy store in North Beach, and it's still there, Z Chocolato. Man, I still go in there and get samples of candy. Uh, and I was working there. You know, I had come up from Santa Cruz, and I had a bunch of different jobs. And then um, I got a job there, and they paid decently. And, you know, it was an hourly job, and I didn't know what else I was doing. So I was working there, I think, you know, somewhere between part-time and full-time. I don't even remember, part-time. Because, um, you know, what I was doing at the time, I was trying to throw concerts. I... Uh, I was trying to be a music promoter and I was terrible at that. I'm not, a, I hate business shit, you know, <laughs> and I'm not very good at it. So I had a job there. Um, I, I jokingly say I was a professional fudge packer <laughs> because I, I packed fudge for a living. Um, I like and, that. um, at the time, a, a guy who, who grew up in my neighborhood in San Diego came in, um, with the woman who's now his wife and, uh, they were engaged at the time and, uh, coincidentally came in and I hadn't seen them for a while. We're chopping it up. And as we're leaving, she gives me her card and it says, you know, she's a travel writer. And I said, fuck, I want to be a travel writer. So I decided to become one. And I did that by, um, making a zine. It was broke ass Stewart's guide to living cheaply in San Francisco. And for those listening who don't know what a zine is, it's uh, before there was blogs, there were zines. You could go to Kinko's and photocopy and print, um, your own publication. Right. I didn't go to Kinko's. I did uh, pip printing or quick printing, whatever, but the same concept. And so, um, I put it out and it was extremely popular and it got best of Bay and the guardian and all the stuff. I did all the distribution by myself. Um, why did you choose broke ass Stewart and to write about, you know, living cheaply in SF? I, uh, cause I was broke 
and yeah. it just made sense and like everybody i knew was broke you know we were all like out of college and like you know in our early 20s and nobody had any money and but i knew of all these great places in san francisco at the time was like you know it was still it was expensive you know more than like other places but there's all these places you could totally survive you know all these cheap tenderloin eateries that were delicious some of them, a lot of them are still there all the like indian places and like uh all, all this all this stuff you could do to survive in the city cheaply and so i was like well just you know this is what i know might as well do it you know what is it write what you know that's what i knew yeah and so it took off, and, and I think you were saying you so you didn't distribute it. Oh yeah, so all. I was doing distribution like all, all through the city by myself. I was in like thirty stores probably. Um, There's a lot more bookstores back then, mm-hmm. like thirty stores, and um, just doing my backpack, filling it up in my backpack, my Muni Pass, and uh, every once a month I'd go make a run, hit up all the different places, and do it on consignment. And then you know that was pretty popular, so I did the second version, which became very popular. And, um, you know, for a zine. And I think I sold like maybe like probably a thousand of each version, you know, mm. you know, over, over a year or two each one. And so I got that in the hands of people at Lonely Planet and they liked that. And then I got to uh, end up doing some writing for them. Right. So how long did you write for Lonely Planet and what are some of the like countries and places you traveled to? Well, I just did Ireland for the Western Europe and Europe on a shoestring, uh, chapters of, I did the Ireland chapter for Western Europe and Europe on a shoestring, and it was great. I was in Ireland for two months. I had a great time, and I came back, and I wanted to continue doing the Brocast Stewart thing. And uh, and you know, everybody I knew at um, Lonely Planet they're like, dude, this Brocast Stewart thing is amazing. You should keep doing this, you know. And so I um I was looking for a book deal to do it because like doing all the distribution myself for the zines was exhausting. So I I decided you know I'm going to find a book deal. And I, f- I literally found my book deal on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. I always say I was looking for a blow job and I got a book deal instead. <laughs> Um, it's funny every time. Um, but, uh, so I just did that for a long time, but I mean, I've, I've written about, I still freelance for them sometimes. But like not the guidebook work is so much work. And like, I don't know if I really particularly, I mean, I've done now th- my own three guidebooks of my own and you know, stuff for Lonely planet. And so I still like, you know, if I go someplace, I can still pitch them stuff for their website or their magazine. But, um, I just did that one trip for them. Okay. But I've written about, I mean, I've published stuff about Japan, Hawaii, uh, Chicago, um, San Francisco and a bunch of other places for uh, Lonely Planet's website. Okay. Any from your time traveling around all over Ireland writing this book, mm-hmm. any memorable characters oh, or situations or, or stories from that time you can share? So many. Um, let's see. God, I loved it. It was, it was a transformative period because I was just coming out of um, the relationship I told you where I moved to San Francisco. Uh, I was just broken up with that girl. We'd been together for three and a half years and she was like my first serious relationship, my first real love. And um, I was suddenly single and mm-hmm. traveling by myself. Um, I was hitchhiking through West uh, Ireland for a little while and taking buses and eventually bought like rent a car and do all this stuff. So um, I met so many interesting people. People I'm still friends with today, you know, cause you know, I'd be staying in hostels and you know, uh, that was happening at the same time where social media was starting to happen. So suddenly it was so much easier to keep in contact with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so a girl, this girl, Anna, who I met in a hostel in Dublin, uh, we clicked, became good friends. Um, later that year, in the end of 2006, we traveled together in uh, Argentina, me, her, and another girl from the hostel. So Anna's from Basque Country. No, sorry, she's from Catalonia in Spain. Mm-hmm. And then Jackie's from Australia. And three of us traveled together in South America. And then Anna, also later on, she stayed with me in Brooklyn. She stayed with me in San Francisco. And I actually went to uh, her wedding in uh, outside of Barcelona in 2010. Nice. And, and a girl I met in a hostel, you know? And we're yeah. still good friends. Um, met so many great people. Uh, funny story is... Um, I don't know if I've done that. There's just some dirty stories too. That, that really, That's okay. Uh, <laughs> a funny story is that I met, the, I was in Belfast and um, I was outside of a bar as it was letting out and I see this pretty girl so I start talking to her and uh, she hears my accent and she goes, 
where are you from? I was like, oh, I'm from California. She goes, I love California. I'm like, oh, cool. Where have you been? She goes, well, I've never been to California, but I love the show The O.C. And <laughs> then, is what everybody thinks is California. Of All of California is like, right. And then we ended up going back to, we went back to like what I thought was her friend's house, quote unquote. And we get back there. And it was me, her, and this other guy, and this girl whose house was, quote unquote. And it ended up being her grandfather's house. And mm. so they heard this like, this like old man opened the door and let us all in. And I'm 25 and these people are all like 19 and I'm like, Oh man, this is so weird. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then we hooked up at somebody's grandparents house. It was, it was a weird night. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I, you know, I had read your stuff, you know, before kind of researching this interview, I was, I kind of thought of you as, you know, a funny comedic writer, <laughs> who wrote about just cool shit happening in San Francisco, you know, through, through broke ass Stewart. But, um, the more I read of your stuff, kind of getting ready for this, uh, you're an incredible writer. Thank you. Um, I, yesterday I, I read your book, um, or your, your most recent design, love notes and other disasters. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I, I really honestly picked it up cause I just wanted to get a sample and I was going to mm-hmm. read a few of them. And kind of just get a feel for what it was like. But I started on page one and I couldn't put it down. <laughs> I went all the way through. It was, it was awesome, man. Thank you. So congratulations on that. I mean, you have such a, like, just honest, genuine, you write really personal, personally about, like, stories you've gone through. And uh, that just touch on a wide range of, like, the human emotions. And you always seem to intertwine like San Francisco somehow in the story as well. It always reminds me of something in the city, like all of those, all those stories I read. And, uh, so I want to talk about a few of those. Mm -hmm, Um, the first one I think is your most popular piece living in San Francisco means. Yeah. The original one. Yeah. Yeah. I think I read that that had like almost half a million views, something like that. Yeah. That one went viral. It was the first time I went viral. Yeah. It was 2000 and that was the first time you went viral. First time I went viral. Yeah. Okay. Uh, gone viral a few times since then. Um, so it's the first article I wrote that went viral and, uh, 2011 was a really big year because it was the same year that I, um, had a TV show on IFC and I did my a book tour and I did a bunch of different things. Um, but and was, I went viral with this article. And uh, really, um, it was the first article for the Bullet Talent that went viral too. And it kind of really helped put them on the map and helped uh, people think about me differently as a writer. Because before that, it was just like, you know, funny, funny mm-hmm. things like go here, eat this because it's cheap, you know. And those were funny and they were smart, but they were like, uh, you know, blurbish. You know, it was, it was uh, guidebook writing. So this was the first time where like my writing was seen differently. And... Um, that shit went on fire and yeah. you know, it really struck people it, whether it struck them to either love me or hate me too, which is fine. As long as you're thinking about me, um, yeah. it gave me like such a sense of like home. Like mm-hmm. it, uh, it made me realize that like, this is my home now because right. I could relate to every, every fray. I mean, every part of it, <laughs> you know, it, like I could relate to like that being San Francisco. Right. And, and I've been here long enough, um, to where like, this is home now. I mean, what inspired it? Um, uh, they, you know, I was talking to who was it? it wasn't Jen at the time. It was uh, Nicole was the editor at the Bulletalic at the time, and um, I don't know. I don't. I, don't she, I just sat down and started writing. You know, yeah. and like I'm, I'm a fan of um, using repetition and uh, alliteration and certain literary devices to like to make things uh, hit harder. And you know, you you know, using words to 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 mean something that necessarily they may not actually be saying. Um, so, and you know, one of the things that, that led me to writing like that, I mean, I use, a lot of the viral pieces that I've written, written in that style using a repetition, like, um, that one's like, live, you know, each, each, uh, stanza starts living in San Francisco means, mm-hmm. and then da 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 da
So uh, reading uh, Aaron Comet Bus's uh, Punk Rock Love Is uh, from one of his zines from back in the day, there's a, I think Last Gas put out the Comet Bus Omnibus, and uh, I read it in that on my friend's toilet one time. And like it was like, you know, <laughs> Punk Rock Love Is, right. making out with your girlfriend in the next to the dumpster behind the punk club, sharing the same hair dye with your girlfriend, having the same mohawk, you know, like this kind of thing, the repetition. And like, so I kind of sat down and I kind of, that I was just feeling that. And I just kind of started doing writing about San Francisco and what San Francisco meant to me and what it meant to live in San Francisco. Was that a piece that came out very quickly, not like developed over a long period of time? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, it came out in two sittings. A lot of my stuff does, you know, I sit down, I get the ghost out, you know, just like get it out on the page as much as I can. And then, Oftentimes that happens in a couple hours and then I stop and then I come back to it a couple of days later and I, um, finish it and tighten up the rest. I finish what isn't there. And that's usually like the last, like, I don't know, 20% mm-hmm. and then tighten up the rest and then send it to the editor and then it gets tightened up more. Right. A good editor is really important for me at least. Right. The other thing I really liked about your writing is that when you tell a story, um, I always felt like I was back there in that <laughs> moment with you. Good. which I think that's an amazing thing to like make the reader feel like they're right there with you. And so I definitely felt that, uh, when I read the time I found my neighbor dead, Oh yeah. <laughs> which I don't want to talk about that because I don't want to rip off. I, I want everyone to read that just like from scratch. Um, <laughs> that's a, just an amazing 10 minutes. And I don't want to, I don't want to ruin it's, any it's of your suspense. Story. Yeah. True story. Um, but I also felt it with, uh, your piece hard, uh, hard water. Mm. Um, which, uh, you know, I, I felt like I was in that moment with you when you're at the opening mm-hmm. of the Hardwater restaurant and you're seeing all the usual suspects there, all the local riders, you know, that community. So I wanted to ask you, like, what is that community like? And uh, do you have strong personal relationships from that? Is there a competitiveness amongst that group? You know, what is that? What is that group like in those relationships? Um, like? Well, you know, is uh, Hard Water came out of the column I did for 7x7 and then later on the, the Guardian called The Weeknighter. And it was really interesting because for a couple of years what I was doing is I was like taking everyday experiences that were happening in San Francisco, looking at the changes that were happening in San Francisco, looking at um, big, big important things that are happening in the world and then and using uh, talking about a bar as the lens through that, how to see that. So Hard Water, the story is, I'm, I'm at this opening for Hard Water and there's this fancy place. Um, where it was myself and all these other writers, uh, people like uh, Caitlin Donahue, who was at The Guardian at the time, and um, Carolyn, who was at Eater at the time, and you know, people who were media people, and we're all there, but we couldn't actually afford to be there if we were regulars, you know, if we were like civilians or whatever, you know, and um, how we have this kind of funny life of, of, of being able to make or break or destroy your fucking business, but we can't actually afford to eat there. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. And there, there's, you know, there used to be, I used to go to a lot more press events like that. Lately, I've been so busy doing other things. Um, but a lot of, you know, there's less media now. You know, the Bully Talic disappeared. Now it's back, but it's like something else. Mm-hmm. Um, the Guardian's gone. Um, Daily Candy's gone. Uh, Flavor Pill is barely there. You know, so all these, like, you know, and so, but yeah, for, for a few years, there was like a, a pretty tight community. And a lot of the people in my life were all involved in that community. And actually, there's something I'm, I want to write about, um, a screenplay of sorts. I've got, an, I've got a whole idea for um, a screenplay that could either be like a, uh, a web series, like a TV series mm-hmm. or a movie kind of based around those lives and how they intertwine, Right. especially in a city like San Francisco where it's like, yeah, you, can, you can't afford to be places, but you can make or break them. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Well, I've, I've actually had a few writers on the show. Oh, cool. And uh, people are probably getting sick of me asking this question, but I always like to ask, you know, of all of the of all your pieces that you've put out there, mm-hmm. what is one that I don't want to force you to choose like the best or your favorite, but what's one that you've done that you're really, you know, you have a lot of pride in, mm-hmm. and if you could like point people to just go read just one piece, what would That's it be? That's hard. Um, I'm really proud of my New York City book that I wrote. Um, I was just really inspired and did it, and like I think that. If there was such thing as like a like a hall of fame for guidebooks, it could be in there because it was just like it was you know not to suck my own dick, but like it was, <laughs> it was sharp, it was funny, it was heartfelt, and it was real, and it was all done. It, you know, it encapsulates New York City what it was in that moment, um, and it's damn good. A, fr- a friend of mine from Lonely Planet just hit me up on Twitter the other day, and she's like, "Yeah, I just picked up you know for some reason it was inspired and picked up your New York City book again." And she's like, "It's fucking awesome," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah thank you." Uh, but in, in terms of like like e- easier to digest pieces, um, you know, this, I just did that a sequel to the Living in San Francisco piece, and that one that one went viral too. It was like Living in San Francisco means uh, to twenty reduction for twenty fifteen, and that that one's pretty good. I think it pretty pretty well sums up now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think this one called Why You Should Fuck a Writer, which is. Um, Something I wrote. That Enjoyed that one. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, how, who could read that title and then not dig into that one? Right. <laughs> and th- I like that one because, you know, it's, it's more or less like, you know, people like critics of mine are like, oh, well, it's just Stuart telling people to fuck him. And uh, yeah, sure, of course. But like, also, it's like really, it's more about like how hard it is to love and the, the, the rewards and the perils of loving someone and, and being with someone who's a creative person, you know, because right. we're, we're crazy people. <laughs> right. Do you make enough? with broke ass doer and all of that success to like pay all the bills or do you have to have like supplementary job? To no, I still bartend. Out? You still bartend? Right now I'm down to bartending once, once a week. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, I was bartending three times a week up until recently. Um, and yeah, now, um, you know, there's, we, I brought in my buddy Alex is doing, um, sales for the site ad sales, which is really helping because like before I was doing everything, you know, like, all, you know, not everything. I mean, a lot of the editorial and editing and stuff. And we always, I've always had really great writers who mm-hmm. make content, but then like I was in charge of like you know, you know, making it out, making it happen in social media, trying to do ad sales. I just couldn't do it all. And I brought on Alex, and he's just killing it. We're like actually making money for once and paying writers and like doing all this stuff. And we did this Indiegogo campaign a couple months ago, which was very successful. We made we made our goal, and that also helped me give give me the breathing room that I could do things like run for mayor. And I did, and um, you know, cut down on my shifts a little bit, and start paying my writers and doing all these things. Like it gave us, because I don't want to to get investment from like these fucking VC firms who don't care about creating things, and they just care about exit strategies. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in, in making something sustainable that 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 moves people. That and we can do it our way. And don't have to suck anybody's dick to do it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, so speaking of that, you kind of mentioned mayor. Yes. Um, I want to talk about, you know, you're running for mayor. I am. And uh, I guess throughout your your career as a writer or whatever you want, in broadcast steward and all that, you kind of have the, you kind of said what you wanted to say, mm-hmm. right? Drop an F-bomb wherever you want to, mm-hmm. um, speak your mind all the time with, you know, whenever, whatever you want to say. Um, now that you're running for mayor, do you feel like you have to tone it down? No, I think it's no. even more important now for yeah. me to say what so I want to say. So you're going to be the same old broke-ass doer yeah. and take the same approach and not tone anything down or adjust 
to what people's yeah, expectations are. It's even are. more important, you yeah. know, to say things how they need to be said. Right. Because, you know, uh, it's funny. I've been getting a lot of, not, you know, writing for the examiner, <laughs> which has been a trip. It's been really interesting. It ex- exposed me to a whole bunch of people I would not be exposed to otherwise. Um, but I keep, because the the readership of the examiner is like a different readership than, you know, normally that I would have. Uh, I get a lot of cranky old man letters sent to me in mm-hmm. email. Like, your fucking words are so blah, blah, blah. A real man would be able to express himself without f-bombs and stuff and it's like yeah go fuck yourself you know like <laughs> i don't care like people don't get it if you're if you're focused on the the fuck word or the shit word or the the asshole word then you're missing the whole point right those are just kind of exclamation points you know yeah i get that <laughs> i get that okay so let's play devil's advocate sure here for a second mm-hmm. um so what a lot of your critics might say maybe the candidates you're running against mm-hmm. they're gonna say you know Stuart, you don't really want to be mayor. You just maybe want the publicity or you want this as a good writing topic mm-hmm. or you never held public office before. You know, Stuart doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> How do you respond? How do you respond to that? Well, I was vice president of my high school. Right. Okay. So there's that. Uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, obviously, the people who know what they're doing, in quote unquote, are fucking things up. Right. You know, look at look at what's happened under Ed Lee's tenure, you know, and uh, he's a guy who's a radical housing rights activist who sold his soul, you know, and, and look what's happening. Like this guy used to organize rent strikes in Chinatown and he was part of the, the protest at the I Hotel, you know, to, to keep disabled elderly Filipinos from being evicted, you know, and now he's perpetrating this, helping perpetrate the same shit that was happening then that he was fighting against. Um, so. Sometimes it takes uh, someone who's not part of the the establishment to shake things up, and um, I'm running for mayor more than anything at, to change the conversation. You know, to to be able to say, look, this is what's important, and I have a voice. I have a voice in the city that people listen to for some fucking reason. Yeah, and 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 I want to be able to use that voice to say, hey, this is wrong, and we as a community need to stand up and do something about it. You know, so for me, it's more about um, that message and being able to use that effectively than it is, you know, ultimately being mayor. You know, if I become mayor, fuck, you know, we'll do some things. We'll do some real things. But, like, in the meantime, it's important to change the conversation, you know, the same way like, like Bernie Sanders is doing, you know, where he's, um, you know, saying things that need to be said mm-hmm. and getting them in the news. So it's kind of right. the same idea. Okay. So what would you, if you got elected, mm-hmm. what, would, what, would, what would be your goals for the first month what would you get done immediately the first thing we do is clean up people poop off the streets we, okay we get rid of people poop. It's, it's very solvable it's very solvable and there's a lot of human shit and needles out and about on the street and it's fucked up okay so how would you do that um it's pretty easy man we just need more bathrooms yeah these people who are shitting on the street don't want to do that um in the past 10 years 50 percent of public bathrooms have been um closed whether that's bart muni uh public parks you know, so open those things up, and not only that, put little uh, biohazard waste waste bins too, so people can drop their needles. Mm-hmm. So that way, there's less needles on the street. And um, we get these things. Uh, Portland has this um, this thing where you know you know the the green things on Market Street stuff that we put in you know a quarter and they open up and you can go right. and they're filthy disgusting in there and they're humid and gross and they're terrifying. Well, Portland has a version of that that's not as gross. That actually um, you can it's there's 
grading in the top and the bottom so you can see if people are in there without you know messing with their privacy and there's nothing to deface there's no mirrors there's no, so it's actually like you know you can tell like it's a place to go to the bathroom you know, right. we could, we could put, put those up right now there's also a program in the tenderloin called um pit stop there's two in the tenderloin and one in the mission and they are pop-up bathrooms with an attendant and um people can go i read that uh, when they first did that the block in the, in the tenderloin that had that pit stop uh street poop disappeared by 60 percent mm-hmm. this is very solvable mm-hmm. and not that expensive you know so why don't we do that so that's, that's top of my list right you know something that like is an action that we can do like you know other things are a lot more complicated you know i mean and, and like you know the, the poop is obviously part of a bigger issue the fact that there's ten thousand homeless people in san francisco but um you know it's a it's a big band-aid and then next you tackle homelessness you know do you do you think you'll get the chance to be in one of the debates there's not gonna be any debates, any I mean, debates? If, if it is it's gonna be like you know me and amy and francisco debating which is like you know it's fine but it it doesn't matter if at least not there, you know, yeah. that's just like being the tallest little person in the room, you know, like, would you love that opportunity to debate at least to debate? To oh, debate that'd be great. Yeah. It'd be great. So he, when you listen to like, you know, Ed Lee and some of his supporters talk, mm-hmm. he would say, man, I, the employment, the unemployment rates down to like three and a half percent. You know, we, we have a budget surplus. Um, San Francisco is becoming one of the most desirable cities in the world like to live right but at what cost how would you yeah so what would you say to him yeah but um, but like at what cost i mean there are people that are like being kicked out of their homes there are rapacious goddamn um developers and real and landlords and and brokers who are looking at this as just a way to get rich and it's it's messed up because like these are people's homes and lives that are at stake you know um, I've known so many people who've been kicked out of their houses and had to move to the city they love, or people who who grew up here and, and had to leave the city that they, that they're that's their home. Um, you know, there's been ninety eight year old lady who served an eviction notice. Mm-hmm. It's like fuck you, wait two years, dude. You know, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like that's that's greed. So like, while there might be more jobs and there might be more desirable, that's you know, it, there's also the amount of of harm that's being done almost outweighs that because the jobs that are coming here it's it's a lot of people who don't care about san francisco and they, they live in this bubble where they go to work they work too long and then they don't take mass transit to get home they take you know right you know they take uber to get home and then they use an app to deliver food and they were you know and, and they're no longer part of san francisco they just happen to make money here and reside here but they're not you know we, we live in the streets in san francisco we walk around we ride bikes we take mass transit and that makes us san franciscans in a way because we interact with each other right but these people are opting out of that they're opting out of being san franciscans and so a big initiative what i'm doing with my campaign is reaching out to people and be like yo be here if you're gonna be here be here and be involved and care and vote for me <laughs> so what if, I've read a few of your articles on what you're what you're learning about this whole political process so far, like the mm-hmm. cost just to enter and right. run for mayor, all the just legal legalities and documentation required. Can you share what have been some of the things you've learned about running for mayor so far? Oh God, there's so much. I mean, it's expensive to run. It's expensive just to get in. It's like fifty six hundred dollars just to just to buy a ticket to ride. You know, like just to get it on the ballot, or you can get signatures, but it's like eleven thousand signatures, which like cost more in time than it would you know it's just it's ridiculous and then there's all these campaign finance laws that are great in theory but they actually end up hurting people like me instead of ed lee you know um because someone like ed lee who has millions of dollars of backing can be like all right i can i can just um take the fine whereas like a a large fine can ruin me 
you know, mm-hmm. ruin my campaign and end things. So the campaign finance laws are restrictive to the little guy. And so the system is kind of set up in a way that it keeps the people who, who are, you know, as you would expect, they, who represent the rich in power, and it, it effectively hurts democracy because those who might have popular support can't can't maintain the momentum and, or the, inc- the the money to do it. Right. So you know how when there's a presidential election, mm-hmm. the, the the people running are always talking about what states they have to win. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Democrats are always going to get California. Republicans are always going to get some of the deep southern states. I want to ask you about San Francisco neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, What's the neighborhood that you think will be, will be most challenging for you to win on election day? Oh, uh, well, um, Chinese speaking neighborhoods Yeah. because I'm so far off the radar. If you're, if you are a, you know, a, a, you know, you'd be a huge Chinese population here. And if you are not speaking English and you know, and there's obviously there's plenty of bilingual, but there's also plenty of people who don't. And like, you know, they show up and they see something, they see a Chinese last name. They're most likely going to vote for, so, so you know, the Richmond Sunset and uh, Chinatown. Right. It's a, the, it's a big voting block now. That, you know, there was no Chinese vote a few years ago, and Rose Pack really helped consolidate that, which is which is awesome. It's great that there's a vote, but it's it's hard. It's, it's going to be hard for someone not with a Chinese last name to to get that vote. What's the What's the neighborhood you're most confident you'll win? Um, good, good question. Um, I, w- I would think the Mission. You know, I spent ten years living in the Mission, probably. Um, the hate. I don't know. Wherever there's, um, you know, young hip people. I guess hipsters. I will take the hipster vote. <laughs> <laughs> you think that demographic will get published after the election? Yeah, what? yeah, what sure. Hipster, hipster vote, <laughs> sure. Um, you know, um, we'll see. Like, I'll get. It's interesting because the people who are also running as protest candidates, like uh, Amy Farrowweiss and um, Francisco, um, they're great. They're awesome. They're doing good work, and um, we each represent something a little bit different. Um, and it'd be interesting to see where the votes lie with that, you know, because we're kind of all going for the same demographic. Right. Okay. Or demographics, rather. Okay. What neighborhood do you live in now? Is it the Mission still? I call it the Smission. Oh, uh, I'm the Soma Mission. Mission border, yeah. Okay. I'm not far from Rainbow Grocery. Okay. So what are your, I always ask everybody, what are their three favorite places to go or things to do in your neighborhood? Uh, I'm in, uh, you know, it varies. I'm in the... Um, at gas lamp cafe on 12th and Howard all the time. Cause it's like a local coffee shop and I work there out of the, you know, I work out of there often. Um, you know, I remember I like the willows, which is a block down from that, which is a great little neighborhood bar. Um, there's so much, I mean, I live in a great location. I am a few blocks from, uh, Van Ness and market. So I'm right by all transit and I can walk most places. Um, rainbow grocery is incredible. Mm-hmm. Although I wish they had I've never been, I've never been in there. Oh, it's great. I mean, their produce is, beautiful it's expensive it's all organic it's a co-op uh, i wish they had meat though because like I, i'm a carnivore i'm an omnivore um and i if they had meat there'd be easier for me to like just go there and get responsible meat right. um I, I try to eat responsibly when i can it's not always feasible because of price but whatever um what else there's so much good i'm not far from zeitgeist which is classic mm-hmm. um what else what else i don't know i i just love where i live there's a lot of there's a lot of poop on the street yeah you know? and there's a lot of uh you know the the uh, soundtrack to my night is often you know people ranting at the moon. There's a lot of homelessness where I live, um, and I <laughs> I always you know the joke is like it's fucked up, but most jokes should be. Uh, but it's like you know I I I get to overhear domestic disputes all the time, but does it count as domestic if they live on the street? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a fucked up joke, but um, it's true. There's a lot of that. 
a lot of craziness. Uh, recently, actually just the other night, maybe a couple weeks ago, my girlfriend and I, and there's somebody who, they, whatever they had, it was some good shit because they were out of their fucking mind. Like, and they were yelling and screaming and like ranting and like, you know, having multiple conversations with themselves. And like, it's the kind of thing where like, I don't want to call the cops on them because I don't want them to go to jail. I don't want to get them ass kicked, you know, if, you know, and if they're unstable, you know, uh, so kind of just like, you know, I open the window and say, shut the fuck up. I'm trying to sleep here. And then, you know, eventually just they, they didn't. They didn't? No, eventually they did. And, okay. You know, whatever. I'm used to sleeping with noise, sirens, uh, screaming, gunshots. Definitely, you know. My neighborhood, I don't really hear gunshots very much anymore, though. That's good. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. I always hear gunshots in the neighborhood. Yeah. I'm definitely, I mean, I used to live like, like out of the TL by like one block. And I definitely would hear some there. And in the mission, too, sure. You know, my neighborhood's pretty safe. What about if you had to move away from San Francisco? Oh God, I don't know. How um, would you How would you spend your last day in the city before you left? That's hard, man. <laughs> that is hard. Um, I don't know. I'd try to get some kind of event going on with like all my favorite people, you know, because so much of places is the people there, and even though a lot of them have left these days, you know, through either choice or through necessity. Um, there's still a lot of people who are amazing here. I'd probably do something like, you know, I think I would have a day party at El Rio. Oh, Rio, okay. Yeah, I mean. Been there for a day party before. Oh, it's great. You know, it's so perfect. Uh, or something like that, right? I'd have, like, everybody come out and we'd do some, or maybe, I'd say Dolores Park. Dolores Park's out of control these days, you know. But day party at El Rio, we'd maybe have some people doing some barbecue there and just drinking and dancing and having some good tunes spinning. be awesome. Last meal? Last meal in San Francisco? Oh, yeah. I mean, where would you have oh, you had your last dinner before you, like, shit off the bed? Can you think? I don't know, man. I know it's a tough one. I don't know. I really like Lolo a lot. It's a fan. Lolo. Lolo. It's like fusion, like tropical fucking Mexican Turkish fusion. It's awesome. Huh. It's in the mission. I've never heard of it. Uh, I haven't been there since I moved to a new location, though. Um, God, my last meal in San Francisco. It depends on where I was moving. If I was moving to, like, you know, New York. New York, then I'd probably get some Mexican food. Yeah, they don't have anything over there. Not like this. Right. Yeah, I'd get a big old mission burrito probably. Okay. <laughs> now, you think Donald Trump put on his show at the first Republican presidential debate. Can you imagine the show Stewart would put on if somehow a mayoral debate comes together? Man, I'd pay money to be in the front row for that show, no doubt about it. You can read more about Stuart, get links to everything we talked about on the show at sfpeoplepodcast.com. I definitely encourage you to get on there and click the links. They'll take you to the different pieces um, that he's written that we discussed on the show. At the very least, read Living in San Francisco Means. Uh, That's one of my favorites. Every San Franciscan should read that one. And then you can read even more about Stuart at his website, BrokeAssDoer.com. Thanks to everyone for listening. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at SFPeoplePodcast. And do you know someone who would be a great guest on San Francisco People? If you do, I'd love to hear about him. Shoot me an email to frank at SFPeoplePodcast.com or tag him on Twitter with the hashtag SFPeople. We'll be back in a few weeks. I'm Frank Garza for San Francisco People.